Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, episode 264. This week, we're talking with Dean and Sarah about what led to him writing the book, The Unsaved Christian. Because in my mind, as I'm walking forward, was how have I been in church my entire life and no one has ever told me this before? Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for stopping by and welcome to the show. Our goal is for you to be equipped, challenged, and inspired by what we share here. This week, we're going to be talking with Dean and Sarah about how incredibly easy it can be for us to have a mixed up understanding of Christianity or to misunderstand what's needed to call people into deeper relationship with Christ. On a personal note, before we get to that, I do want to share that I've fallen a little bit behind on email, social media, and stuff like that. So if you're waiting on responses from me, I'm sorry about the delay. I'm trying to get caught up, but that could actually be leading to an opportunity for you. I'm looking for a skilled administrator to help me with a few things, depending on your interests. Maybe things like helping manage email or social media, or maybe handling some of the research that goes into preparing. If that's you, if you're feeling like you'd like to be involved with what we have going on here and you're interested in that kind of thing, I'd love to hear from you. Send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. I'd also like to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, Megavoice. They actually have something special for us today. By now, you may know that Megavoice manufactures solar-powered audio Bibles in over 4,000 different languages and dialects so that non-literate people can access Scripture in their heart language. But did you know that Megavoice also has resources developed especially for children's ministry? Their wildlife storyteller product line features cuddly stuffed animals with a pocket that's perfect for holding an audio Bible. Research has shown that these products can aid in trauma recovery, but they're also ideal for kids' ministry. With the purchase of any audio Bible, U.S.-based Engaging Missions listeners can now get one of these cuddly audio Bible holders for just $5 while supplies last. Tell them that you heard about it from Engaging Missions when you order. From homeless outreach and refugee response to medical missions and trauma recovery, these audio Bibles help ministries maximize their impact. You can learn more by visiting megavoice.com slash engagingmissions. And I just want to say that I really am thankful to Megavoice. I appreciate their trust in me to help get the word out and also for their support of the show, megavoice.com slash engaging missions. All right, today we have with us Dean and Sarah. He's a husband and a father. He's a church planter and pastor in Florida, and he's the author of the book, The Unsaved Christian, Reaching Cultural Christianity with the Gospel. Dean, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. I'm really glad to have a chance to talk to you about this book. You know, when I first heard about this book, I was not quite clear on what it was going to be about. I had some preconceptions. But before we get started talking too much about the book, can you maybe just give us at a high level what this book is about? Yes, uh, this book is what I believe is uh, framing an understanding, first of all, of what I believe is the largest mission field in America. 
which is cultural Christianity. And also part of that is as a little bit of my own story of being saved out of it, coming into the Lord from cultural Christianity. Also a diagnosis of actually what is cultural Christianity? What do we mean by that? And then it's not doom and gloom. After that, it's uh, how do we reach these people? And sort of a how-to guide, the last third of the book, on how to engage different aspects, different areas of cultural Christianity. And I define cultural Christianity basically as people who would claim to be Christians if asked, but their reason for why they are a Christian really has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ at all. I'm glad that you said that. That was actually one of the things I was going to talk about, because I think sometimes it's really easy to have a discussion about topics or things and not really have a deep understanding of what what two different people are saying. So you're defining cultural Christianity, I think, as people who claim Christ, but don't necessarily know Christ or even necessarily know the gospel. Is that accurate? Yes. And I want to make the disclaimer that I think is important. I don't think I'm the judge of who's a Christian and who's not, nor do I want to be, uh, but I believe the Bible is. And if our faith or what we believe to be saving faith is defined apart from Christ, uh, Jesus had some harsh words about that in Matthew chapter 7. He said, away from me, you know, you evildoers, I never knew you. Uh, so what happens us in America is that if you ask someone if they're a Christian, they will tell you yes. They'd actually be offended if you suggested otherwise. Uh, but their reasoning for doing so is more or less that they're not atheists and they're not Jewish or Muslim. Uh, therefore, they're a Christian. That's really how people think in America today. Uh, there's What makes this very complicated to figure out is there's no actual defined category for cultural Christian. If you were to fill out some kind of form or survey and you were asked for your religion, again, there's not a box that says cultural Christian. <laughs> it would say no. It would, it would say no religion. You know, Judah, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, or it would say Christian. And again, if you're not an atheist or an agnostic, most people in America are going to check that Christian box. But again, the reason for doing so has nothing to do with Jesus whatsoever. And like you mentioned, I think that there are a number of people who, if you had this conversation with them, might be offended at even the possibility that there there wasn't a relationship there and maybe they didn't actually live by by what they ascribe to. How do you begin bridging that divide without being unnecessarily offensive to people? Well, I think it's a belief thing before it's even a lifestyle thing. I think it has to start there. Uh, again, these folks are, again, they're friends, they're neighbors, they're coworkers, they're regular, everyday great folks. Uh, but again, their Christianity is not dependent on the gospel. I would even go as far, because it's my own story, that's why I feel like I can speak to this with some sort of authority, mm-hmm. is the, the cross and resurrection could actually never have even taken place, and it wouldn't affect their faith at all. Again, by Christian, they really mean they're not atheists, they're not of another world religion, and they think they're really good people. So it's really hard to reach someone that thinks they're fine. And it's really hard to reach someone that has no no clear starting point. If I'm trying to share my faith with an atheist, well, we have a clear starting point, and that's unbelief. If I'm trying to share my faith with someone of a different world religion, maybe our starting point can be what their faith teaches compared to what the Bible teaches. You know, that, that makes for a good conversation. Yeah. With a cultural Christian, you have to almost help the person get lost before they can get saved. And to be able to see their need for Christ. So I really think uh, if it's the relationship's already in place, we have to be willing to have some courage. Again, it takes some courage to do this. And we also have to have clarity about what is a Christian and what is not. And we have to make really, really careful, make, make very much sure that we're not pointing to ourselves as the example. We're not saying be more like me. Right. We're pointing to the gospel story of Jesus Christ and helping them see the inconsistencies of how the faith they claim to have is not based on that at all. So the basis for, I, I think, the whole entire book really comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, 
where Jesus is telling that many will come to me on that day. He says, and they will say to me, did I not cast out demons in your name, perform miracles in your name? And he says, I will tell them plainly, away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Well, what's happening there? These folks are appealing to other things besides Christ as the reason for their salvation. And the Christian understanding of salvation has to only be only be found in Christ and his work for us, because anything else, the book of Galatians says, would make the death of Christ unnecessary. So rather than saying, look at what we have done, instead we have to say, look at what Christ has done. And I think that conversation has to happen with a cultural Christian, because they don't think about it and don't even define their faith by that. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a pretty scary passage. In fact, that's one that over the years has really kind of given me pause, because it's really easy to look at myself or look at things and try to define my faith by that. And then on the flip side, there's also this understanding that if I am a believer, if I am following Christ, it's not just that I believe that there's a God, but I'm putting my faith in him and I'm actually following him, then there's supposed to be fruit that works itself out in my life. How do we, how do we understand and walk in that tension? Well, it has to result in something, right? A faith, we could say, without a response is really no faith at all. There's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to that called the Book of James. Uh, but we have to make sure that we're not advocating for a morality. We're advocating for a worship, really, for a following of Christ. They're two very different things. Uh, by American standards, anybody can have morality. Uh, but God's not impressed with that. You know, God is not, is not impressed with our Western ideas of what it means to be a good person. And cultural Christians, and not in an arrogant way, just in a lack of self-awareness kind of way, really are self-righteous. And we think self-righteous, we oftentimes think of legalism or Pharisees. I don't mean in that kind of way. I mean self-righteous in the fact they really truly believe they're good people. So I say what's happened there is they made the wrong comparison. They compare themselves to other human beings. And if we compare ourselves to other people, we can always find someone we're a little better than, right? By American standards. Yeah. Like probably almost everyone can. Uh, but when we compare ourselves to God, we fall short every single time. And the only thing we can say is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And thankfully, in his grace, he has given us that in Christ. Uh, but what happens in cultural Christianity is there's a generic theism. It's not the God of the Bible they believe in. It's this vague, generic God. When the God of the Scriptures is defined, there's not mystery about it. Well, there's lots of mystery. But in terms of who he is, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is Yahweh. Uh, he has revealed himself in these last days, Hebrews says, and his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, so our God is defined. He wants us to know who he is. He's not generic. He's not vague. He's not a big guy upstairs. So a generic God is going to lead to a generic lifestyle and a generic morality, where an actual belief in the God of the scriptures that ultimately finds its understanding in Christ is going to lead us to a life of worship that's guided by that God who has spoken. So one is driven by an actual biblical response and biblical principles and commands, where another is just in really more influenced by just basic Western ethic, more moral culture. That's not a saving faith at all. If I remember right from the book, you had a couple of examples that involved your life where you became aware of this gap. Can you share the story of how, how this gap became apparent to you? Yeah, well, I was raised mainline Protestant, and I uh, we went to church every Sunday unless I was sick or out of town. I mean, we were there probably 50 Sundays a year and enjoyed it. It was fine. You know, I learned lessons about David and Goliath, and I knew about Jonah and the big fish and to love people and things like that. But I had never actually had anyone tell me I needed to be saved from my sins, that I actually truly needed Jesus, not just when I had a bad day, but actually to be my savior and what that actually meant. 
So I went to a fellowship of Christian athletes retreats when I was 13 years old uh, because I, you know, it was a sports thing and it sounded like fun and my friends were going. And while I was there, I actually heard through one of the assemblies that we had, uh, one of the kind of the gathering times of the camp, the gospel for the first time in my entire life, even though I had been in church every Sunday, where the pastor actually talked about like my personal need to be saved from my sins. And there's only one way that could happen, and that was through Christ. And he gave an old-fashioned kind of altar call invitation, and I went forward, and I joke about this, but I think I'm the only person to ever come to Christ and actually be mad about it. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, I had joy, but I really was pretty ticked, because in my mind as I'm walking forward was, how have I been in church my entire life and no one has ever told me this before? So that really led to a passion uh, for, I I was young, I was immature, it took me a little while to, to grow in that, I was a little overzealous at first, but that led to a passion to reach that same mission field that I just came from. So that was most of my family, most of my friends, most of my contacts uh, were people who would claim to be Christians if asked. But by that, they just meant they came from some kind of religious heritage. They weren't atheists, and they went to church sometimes. That, that's that's a really powerful story, and it's a sobering reminder for me that people can be involved in church, can know the stories, can be can, can for all intents and purposes probably look like they have saving faith, and yet not really have that knowledge. How can we, as as church leaders, as church planters, as cross-cultural ministers, how can we help to not create a situation where people are almost inoculated to the gospel? Well, one, we got to make sure we're clear on it every single week uh, and, and everything we do. Uh, I, I say the two main things we need are courage and clarity when it comes to reaching cultural Christians. And I know it's kind of trendy to say, let's not talk about what we're against. Let's talk about what we're for. But a lot of times, to understand what something is, you have to understand what something is not. And I think we have to really make sure people understand and realize that that our own personal morality, our actions, our church attendance, none of those things forgive sin. Those things make for really great American values and principles in a better country. Those things don't work in the kingdom of God to get us there or, or to even keep us there. Uh, so I think we just have to make sure that we realize that when we preach the gospel, that's not some elementary new timer kind of thing. Like this really is the foundation of what we believe. And for those who come from churches, that, and again, I do believe there are some remnant good mainline Protestant churches out there. I'm not, you know, I want to give some sort of charity to that, but there's not very many. Uh, so we have to make sure that we don't see that as like sheep swapping if mainliners or people from non-gospel preaching churches come into our churches. We see it as evangelism. And, and I think that's where we have to make sure we're clear. I think the confusion comes from when we hear about cultural Christianity, we think it's a discipleship issue where people just need to get more serious about their faith, you know, grow, mature, whatever it might be, where I in the book say, no, 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 this is not a discipleship issue. This is an evangelism issue. Because I believe that cultural Christianity is a different religion altogether. I think it's a completely different religion. It's its own religion. Uh, So in the same way, if if a a professing unbeliever walked in, we'd be really excited. I'm guessing if, if someone invited their unbelieving friend, like their verbally unbelieving friend, to come to church with them and they came, they'd probably text some people and say, hey, please pray. I'm so excited. Praise the Lord. My friend from work's coming today. They're not a believer. And everyone would be really excited about that. They might even tell the pastor, you're not going to believe this. My atheist friend is coming, like my agnostic friend. I'm so excited. We need to be the exact same way about our cultural Christian friends because they need just as saving, just as bad as the atheist or the agnostic. I appreciate you talking about that and sharing the the reality of that situation. I know that it requires a lot of courage to to walk through some of that stuff and to bring it up in love. 
one of the things I did want to make sure we hit on, because it was a good portion of the book, you, you outlined the the different varieties, the eight different varieties of unsaved Christians. Can you briefly run us through those and then share with us which of those you think maybe con- concerns you the most? Yeah, sure. I, you know, and I wrote that section of the book because I want us to be able to reach these folks, right? And we'll have good gospel conversations with these people out of, you know, one belief in Christ and our love for God. And as a result of that, our love for others. Uh, so I wanted to have a real kind of how-to, kind of nuts and bolts kind of part of the book. And, and I cover yeah, eight different things. Uh, just uh, some of those to highlight. Uh, one I think is really important is, is, what, is the God and country Christian. You know, that, that, is, yeah. that is someone who has really kind of confused their faith with patriotism. Not that it's bad to be patriotic. I think gratefulness is actually a Christian posture. So we should be very grateful people for the freedoms we have and for those who have, you know, given their lives to protect it, I think it's very Christian to be grateful people. But oftentimes people think being a Christian just kind of means being an American. And they've more associated their faith with a political party or, or with kind of partisan ideas than they have the scriptures. I just want to really make sure that my Christianity is not an American Christianity because we have to remember that the Bible was written before, like, even Thomas Jefferson's great, 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 et cetera, you know, yeah. grandparents were born. You know, so I think we forget that sometimes. Uh, so that, that, that's an easy area of cultural Christianity to, to detect is someone whose faith just kind of means they're, they're, they love their country. Somehow that, I don't know how that became a thing. Uh, I don't know how far back that goes. I know a lot of it has links sort of in, uh, I, I know our country was founded on Christian principles, but a lot of those folks were cultural Christians. They were deists. If we really study, you know, there are real history there. So just got to be careful that we don't define our faith by our nationality. And that's just, that's, that's, that could be a big problem. I, I have, a, I, one of the eight is mainline Protestants. So I talked about my story earlier in our conversation. Uh, this is more kind of, I guess, the left-wing version of that. Maybe not even politically left, but just theologically left. Hmm. I call the chapter the watered-down word. And, and these are churches that have a Bible but don't really preach it. And if they do, it's a very kind of sanitized version of it. Uh, they only like to maybe paint just little metaphors of loving your neighbor as if that's the only thing the Bible talks about. That, that never talks about sin, repentance, uh, the need for actual true saving faith in Christ. Hmm. One I think is really important out of the eight is the, as I call it the really good guy next door. Yeah. And that is uh, just a bed. That's probably most of our context is just the person next door is just a really great guy or a great woman, you know, great mom, great, you know, employee boss, you know, great husband, great wife that on the surface, it's hard for us sometimes to remember our theology and, and we think that maybe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, but that person right there, they're not a Christian, but they're really great people. So maybe they're okay too. You know, at, at all of their funerals, we're told they're in a better place, yeah. you know, after after they die. You know, it's that kind of confusion that we had that something in us can revert back to this works-based salvation that we reject with our minds and in our and with our mouths. But something even further down, sometimes we just sort of waver there, even unintentionally. It's really hard to reach the, the guy next door because he doesn't think he's a sinner because he's a great guy. Hmm. And again, by American standards, he's right. He is a great guy. But that doesn't save. And then another one is the Bible Belt person. Now, Bible Belt person, that's really tricky uh, because them identifying as a Christian has been a big part of their lives. But by being a Christian, they more just mean they're Southern and that they don't like the liberals <laughs> and that they, <laughs> they drink sweet tea. And that they're not anti-church. They're not hostile towards Jesus. Now, again, their life has no impact because of what they claim to believe. They don't even really go to church. Their belief in Jesus really has no factor at all in anything they do. 
they'd be very offended if you took in God we trust off of a building or off of our currency, mm-hmm. those type of things where it's very culturally driven, not convictionally driven. Their faith is more about the fact that their grandmother is the greatest Christian they've ever known, and they would identify with their family in a certain church in town. Again, notice I'm not naming Jesus or naming the gospel as to why they would claim to be believers. So there's just some examples of some areas of cultural Christianity we really need to be able to reach. Because of where I live, I live just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. So the one that definitely speaks to me is the Bible Belt Christian. And one of the things that you talked about in terms of that was that maybe we've made church membership too easy or essentially non-existent. And because of that, it's kind of exacerbated the problem. Can you share a little bit about what what happens when we make it, I don't want to say easy, but we kind of do make it easy to consider yourself a member of the church? You know, church membership is critical in reaching cultural Christianity, but also just in following Jesus in general. When we refuse to take church membership seriously, one, we're not taking the souls of those who claim to be a part of our church seriously, and two, we're not taking our witness very seriously. Because being a member of a church should actually mean something. And I was asked a really convicting question early in my pastoral ministry, where we had a membership meeting. And this is when we first started the church. And someone said to me, if I join the church on Sunday, what's different on Monday? Hmm. And I didn't have an answer. <laughs> and I was really embarrassed by that. It really made me go sit down and to think through church membership. Because in the scriptures, we see people identifying with elders in local bodies. And they were accountable there. They were a part of a community there. And a lot of the mega church in America, I'm not anti-mega church by any means. I pastor a large church myself, but has largely been built on weak church membership and cultural Christianity, where being a part of a church really demands nothing, asks nothing, means nothing. And what it does, even unintentionally, is we're fueling this idea that we see so often in the Bible Belt, where people want enough of Jesus to be personally identified with him, but not enough where they're personally inconvenienced. And when we have a church membership that just means absolutely nothing whatsoever, we can, if we're not taking it seriously, we can't, expect our, we can't expect our church members to take their faith and their church seriously. So we've got to get more serious about church membership. What actually means something. You know, thinking about that and then just taking it one step further, you also talked about how some of the traditions, call it Easter and Christmas and some of those things that are, at least in my life, are, have been historically a huge part of my life just because of what they mean. But sometimes that we create a situation where people identify more with those than with actually uh, identifying with Christ. Is this something that we need to consider divorcing ourselves from or what's going on with those kinds of events and celebrations? No, I think we need to engage all the more and make an even bigger deal about it because these are wide open doors the Lord has given us to reach cultural Christians with the gospel. And we need to change our minds from thinking these are just Christmas and Eastery kind of people and they just need to get it together and they're not serious to these are lost people walking in the door. So at Easter Sunday and Christmas Eve, like we pray that God will bring us people, right? That he'll bring us lost people. Yeah. And then the cultural Christians walk in the door and we give them a hard time for being there. <laughs> you know, like we haven't seen you guys in a year. It's like, no, wow, this is amazing. They're here. Because here's what you got to remember about those holidays and cultural Christianity religion, I mean religion in a positive sense, like their faith is not tied to those holidays at all. Going to church on Easter Sunday for a cultural Christian is no different than wearing green on St. Patrick's Day, going trick-or-treating on Halloween, eating turkey on Thanksgiving, 
uh, giving mom a card on Mother's Day or going to a fireworks show on the 4th of July. It's just what you do. It's just part of the cultural observance of that particular day. Again, it has nothing to do with their faith or Jesus or religion whatsoever. It's just part of the routine, like wearing green on St. Patrick's Day, you're going to get pinched by somebody, right? <laughs> uh, so what a, what a wide open door to help them see the event you claim to actually be acknowledging that Jesus rose from the grave, right? Uh, or Christmas, that the Messiah has come into the world, right? right. Uh, the, these are history-altering events. Everything we are and believe are based on these things and help them see that the days they're already claiming to at least give a hat tip to or participation in about what it really means. So I get so excited on those days because I know so many cultural Christians are going to walk in the door. And again, by cultural Christians, don't get confused. I don't mean another version, or sorry, I don't mean another branch of Christianity. Right. I mean people that, I, I mean people who don't know Jesus and what a wide open door to give them the gospel. And I, and I love those days because of that. I'd like to make this a little bit practical as well. So we're, we're connecting largely with missionaries and church planters, church leaders, but part of their job is also to equip people who, like me, may never or very seldom end up with any pulpit time. How can we as a group best equip our people to recognize and engage with and be involved in God's transformation of people's lives who are cultural Christians? Well, one way to help them see the difference in between what is a Christian and what is not, that one has to be very I'm not asking people to be complete like seminary graduate theologians, but granted, all Christians are theologians because what we believe to be true about God and what we believe to be true about his word. So you have to be equipped. I mean, there's letters in the New Testament. Paul to the Galatian church is writing to the church about making sure they're getting the gospel right and about how important that is. So I think the one we equip our folks to be able to get the gospel right so then they can see the counterfeits, mm. you know, what are not actual gospels, what are false gospels. And it gets weird calling cultural Christianity a false gospel because they're not intentionally being heretical. So it's not a heresy thing. It's more of a different religion kind of thing that has some Christian language coded on top of it just enough to make it confusing. So I think we need to be willing to figure out how to be good question askers. Hmm. And I don't mean like deep questions. I mean just simple questions about faith. So for a cultural Christian, if you're in a relationship with one, which I guarantee you are, especially in the United States— and if you're not in the United States, there's places where there's still a generic theism that's all around or a very cultural Catholicism that's generational where, where I want people to ask questions such as, hey, we talk about everything. We talk about politics, talk about sports, talk about movies. I've noticed like on your social media every now and then you post things that kind of sound sort of faith based. I've realized we've never actually really talked about faith before, which is kind of weird. Like, tell me about your faith. Like, like, like are, are you? I, I assume you're a Christian. I don't mean that in a weird way. I just assume you are. Like, what? What are? Are you? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well tell me your story. How'd you come to know the Lord? Or what, what? What do you? What do you mean by that? They are going to have no idea how to answer that question. And it's not a gotcha thing. We don't want to back people into a wall. We're not talking about that. But just simple questions like, "Tell me about your faith." They're going to give you an answer back. They're going to talk and they're going to respond. Hmm. It's going to have nothing to do with Jesus whatsoever, which is going to give you a wide open door to go okay, let me ask some more questions about where's Jesus in this? Why does he matter? Yeah. What is his significance? Let me tell you my own story. And we pointed away from our own morality and our, our own selves and all to Christ. I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but I think that's how it happens. And what about the flip side? Because there is the possibility that something like this could become, for, back, for lack of a better phrase, a, a witch hunt. 
that's a that's a good way to put it. And, and that's not what we're, I appreciate you saying that because I don't want to be that. And and that's not what we're talking about here. But again, and if we're engaging with people who just were lost in general, we would never have an issue with having gospel conversations. And we got to realize that people who are answering that they're Christians without it, without a gospel component, that they're no different. I think our mindset has to get there first. So I think our motives will be pure if we really do believe these are lost people we're engaging, not you know people we're trying to prove wrong or sniff out or anything like that. And you don't have to find cult. You don't have to find a cultural Christian. Like usually, like as I'm talking right now, I guarantee people listening are thinking of friends in their mind as I speak. That they're right there. So rather than a witch hunt, I think it's more just opening your eyes to the reality of it. And again, you might be surprised. You might find out someone you didn't think was a Christian is just a baby Christian or an immature Christian. It needs mm-hmm. to grow. Well, praise God for that, right? Let's help yeah. them grow. But you're going to find people that really have no answer to to why they're a Christian. And if your answer to why you're a Christian is anything other than Jesus, you might not be. Hmm. And as long as we have the right mindset that we're not the judge, we're not the authority, the scriptures are, that then I think our motives are going to be in, in an okay place. But I want to be more concerned about the fact that they're lost and the fact they might get mad. Oh, that That's good. It's hard to, a hard pill yeah. to swallow sometimes when it's family, for sure. Oh, I know. Gosh, trust me. Yeah, I can't stand it. <laughs> you know, every every ounce of anxiety I have sets in my mind and body you know, with, with those conversations. So I'm not saying it's easy. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to leave us with before we go? Yeah, I'm not trying to be repetitive, but please, I'm, I'm, I'm truly a listener. Please do not see cultural Christianity as just people who need to get discipled. This is not what that is. I'm not talking about immature Christians or baby Christians or even brand new Christians. We're talking about people that are using some generic theistic language with some morality sprinkled on top that somehow, some way in our culture got translated as Christian, and it's just not. Could be just really clear that we're not saying that our denomination is right or that our particular tribe is right. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that to be a Christian, to be saved from your sins, to be walking with the Lord, to be part of the kingdom of God, is to have a saving faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Like that, that is what it means. So I just want to help people have confidence in that and then go on mission with that. Yeah. Powerful stuff. And for those of you that are listening, I would like to recommend that you go ahead and pick this book up. It seems to be available just about everywhere. I'll have a link for it in the show notes. It is worth checking out. Uh, I think it's a good read and I think it's really necessary, especially if you are ministering in the U S one last question before we go, Dean, how can we best pray for you? You know, I'm leading a church right now, and as and more importantly than that, I'm a husband and a father, and just probably like anyone in ministry knows what that's like. And I just want to be faithful, I want to be healthy, and want to want to finish well, and and be presently well, and all those things to the glory of God. So I just really appreciate people would pray for me in, in those things. Wow, thanks for asking that. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you because I I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, and also just for writing the book. I mean, that's a labor of love. So thank you so much. Absolutely, hope it hope it helps the church. One more time, huge thank you to Dean and Sarah for being here and also to you for joining us. Show notes for this week's episode are available at engagingmissions.com slash Dean and Sarah. That's engagingmissions.com slash D-E-A-N-I-N-S-E-R-R-A. Or if you're listening in your favorite podcast app, there's a really good chance that you'll be able to just click right through to get there. And that's the place where you're going to be able to connect with Dean as well as find links to some of the valuable resources that we talked about. I mentioned that Megavoice has been our sponsor for the last three months. I'm very thankful for their sponsorship. Next week, we've or next episode, we've got a couple of changes. We're going to have a new sponsor coming up, and I'm really excited to tell you about that opportunity, but you're going to have to wait. However, 
For that episode, we're also going to be talking with Daryl Templeton, who is with Megavoice, about his journey and about some of the things that Megavoice does. So it's going to be a really interesting transition. We get, we get to talk about Megavoice one more time, but also we're going to have a new sponsor. I'm really excited about that. If you haven't already, you're going to want to make sure that you subscribe to the show so that you don't miss that. You can do that by visiting engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. And if you found this valuable, I'd encourage I'd really appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word. You might be the person that God uses to help create a connection, deepen a relationship, or provide valuable resources as you sow into his kingdom. Thanks again so much for being here. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you in a couple of weeks. I think you're really going to enjoy Daryl's story, and I'm really excited to share that new sponsor with you. Engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. See you in a couple of weeks.